0: Hi, it's Vanessa. Did you know that you can hear more from Nocturne every month? I release shorter bonus episodes called Nightlights around two weeks after the main episodes. Some are based on interviews, some are atmospheric art pieces, but they're all evocative snapshots of a nighttime experience. You can hear Nightlights by supporting the show on Patreon with $5 a month or more. Here's a peek at last month's Nightlight. I think I was about 11. We waited till everyone was asleep. I remember we ran down to the sidewalk, and I remember when we went out, we went left, and then we just ran around the city for hours, it seemed like. We climbed a wall at some point for some reason to get into some other area. It was sort of a mixture of houses and then industrial buildings. head over now to patreon.com nocturne podcast to support the show again that's patreon.com nocturne podcast thanks you're listening to Nocturne I'm Vanessa Lowe
1: Beautiful night. The fog is a wonderful cover. Derek was saying that, as a result, we'll be less visible, which is true, um, especially from the distance. Probably 8:30 p.m. I'd say in this December, so completely dark, a dark night, a little bit of fog, but we could still see headlights in the distance. Okay. Um, uh, first, hi. I'm I'm Jack. I'll be your host tonight, but I'll be going by Telescope. That's going to be my little code name on the radios, just to be. St- I mean, frankly, it's going to be lovely here. There's no one out here tonight, and uh, Derek was wonderful enough to go scout. There's no rangers ahead of us unless they drive by right now. But we did this once before, and no one even showed up. It was just totally cool and casual. We just did our thing. Freaked out, of course, but no one showed up. So, I'm just so up this that. night, it's we, we as always, had to bring uh, troughs to put the water in, and we placed them on the edge of a dry pond, so we knew the elk used to go there for that water, and that was the hope is two things. We don't do any damage to vegetation, but also there was a chance that the elk might wander and find the water. There's no guarantee any of this is going to work, but we want to try. Knowing full well, it's also good publicity to show that we're actually just trying to bring water to the elk and raise awareness for the issue that the elk are dying of thirst. My name is Jack Gescheit. My first profession was advertising copywriter for an ad agency in New York City. Then I turned professional photographer. Then I turned environmental photographer. And then I turned environmental activist and advocate which is how i describe myself now using all of those tools from my previous professions to promote being more connected to the natural world which is what we need in my grand estimation of why we are where we are which is fouling our own life support system because we're disconnected from it so the more you get out and see what's actually going on in nature the thing that we need because we're part of nature and maybe we uh, can slow down the the rather quick destruction uh, we're wreaking on the planet right now.
0: Jack has a specialty, you might say, at helping to bring media attention to environmental issues that he cares about. He produced a very visible series of photographs of trees covered and surrounded by naked people to bring attention to trees that were gonna be cut down for development in Berkeley. Recently, his focus has shifted to a pristine landscape of rolling fields perched above the Pacific Ocean.
1: Now I'm involved in trying to open more people's eyes to what's going on there and get the private, destructive business enterprises of cattle operations out of a national seashore, which is supposed to be a pristine, protected place by the federal government.
0: Specifically, Jack is focused on the plight of majestic tule elk at Tamales Point in Point Reyes National Seashore.
1: Of which there are only 6,000 in the world. 406 of them have died in the last decade Inside the so-called reserve, the Tule Elk Reserve at Point Reyes National Seashore.
0: There are several cattle operations within the national park, mostly dairy ranches. And to protect grazing land for cows, many of the elk are confined by high fences. The combination of confinement and severe drought has cut off food and water for the elk, causing them to die from dehydration and starvation.
1: Because they're fenced and, and are trapped on a piece of land that can't sustain them. It's just common sense, and anybody who hears that and goes, geez, Jack, if that's true, that's horrific. Well, it is true, and yes, it is horrific.
0: The Park Service has collected data on the elk population for years. However, during the recent drought, as conditions for the elk worsened, the Park Service hadn't taken any visible action. So this night, Jack and a group of other environmental activists are sneaking into the park to bring the elk water.
1: I mean, I live for this. During a global pandemic, we get to go out and play safely outdoors in a beautiful place and actually work to make a difference. help the wildlife and make a difference here. We came in at night around dusk, parked, met up, talked, a circle of maybe, I don't know, a dozen, 15 of us. And then from there, we had a smaller number of cars go on to do the water delivery, and the other cars were gonna stop short of our water delivery point as a decoy. The Calgrade is where you guys, the decoys will be. Flashlights. So if and when the ranchers called the park service on us, the ranchers would inevitably uh, sick them on, you know, the group of people out there, which would be a quarter mile before we we're actually doing the water drop. Car lights, cut your lights, The trick was to get in and get out of there before you're seen. So we're not gonna have a scout at Abbott's. We're not gonna even have a scout here because you're in a gulch and the radio signal doesn't carry up. Mm-hmm. But I just drove it at night, slowly in the fog with a heavy load, like I'm a ranger with a bouncy vehicle. And once you get up the hill here, which is about a half a mile, it's kind of a plateau, and that's up there. We'll put our first scout. So that person will say, "There's a meteor passing." If the ranger, which is code word now, the, word, the R word will no longer be spoken it, unless you see a meteor. In which case, we're kind of then you say a ranger, I guess. We had walkie-talkies, <laughs> we had cell phone communication, and we had apps. This is the on, and also volume control. So that's super loud. And it was very sweet. There was an older couple who, you know, couldn't do the water delivery, but they were willing to be the ones that would talk to the Park Service and just kind of be the decoy and just stall, basically, so that we got the word, they're here, they're here, they're here. Okay, we got to get out of here now. Lights, lights down, folks, lights down. And, and as silly as it is, when you speak, when you're done speaking, say, over.
0: Okay. All right,
1: over. Next person knows to talk. Right, and the next person knows to talk. Hiking up over a hill a quarter mile over rough terrain at night. I mean, it's not dangerous, but, you know, you got to pay attention to what you're doing. And we brought a couple troughs in, hundreds of gallons of water. Each gallon, I've learned, weighs 8.3 pounds. So if you want to carry five gallons of water in, it's over 40 pounds, and it's on your back on rough terrain, and it's it's not easy. You're going back and forth doing multiple trips. Sorry about all this talk, folks. We're going to drive up there, park along the side of the road. Um, do we want to split up the cars on different sides of the road, different directions, so we don't really look like we're all one one group, don't cross the cattle guard, park on this side of the cattle guard. Just keep your uh, tires off the pavement so we are safe and legal. Also, that cattle guard, when people drive over it, we'll be able to hear it very clearly from a distance. Yeah. So if a car goes over that cattle guard, we're gonna know. Right, the cool thing is from the cattle guard, with headlights in the fog, you still can't see us. Nope. From the cattle guard, we're gonna walk in. So if a meteor shows up, and walks around saying what's going on, they're gonna see all these cars, and then see this decoy over here, And meanwhile, other things will be happening over here. Mm -hmm. And we get time to clear out, but you don't need to know those instructions, I'll tell those people. So, so raise your hand if you're carrying, you're a liquid carrier, so paranoid. When we first were bringing the water in, we had headlamps so we could see where we're going and see the ground, it makes it quicker. When we learned the rangers were nearby and over there and we can see headlights, then all lights off and keep them off. And then some of us had red, Gels to keep it, but even still, like just turn the damn thing off. Like just don't take the chance. They, at night up there, in the fog, we're invisible. You won't see us, and we're dressed in dark clothes too, of course. This is uh, coastal prairie, uneven ground, uh, with coyote brush, but it's open. It's mostly grasses. Um, It's up up a rise and down a, a steeper rise to the water. Uh, spot we're gonna drop the stuff which is the pond and maybe it's only maybe a quarter mile but a quarter mile at night in some fog not trying to use a flashlight which might show a distance it's not pitch black so your eyes adjust it takes about 20 to 30 minutes for your eyes to really open up at night even in pitch black unless you're in a cave you can always see and the more you spend time in dark areas or in nature the more you can see and the more you can sense you can feel if you're about to hit a tree, if you're paying attention. Everyone good? Yeah.
0: Everyone good? Good. here. Yeah.
1: You can see there's actually a kind of a trail that's cut through here. It's just coyote brush. You could run up there and you'd trip, but there's no there's no cliff or anything to fall. So it's up a rise, and if you want to, you're on that once you're on that rise and then drop down, you're completely out of sight from the road. Okay. So if if, a, if we were to get a call that a meteor was coming, we would just all just, we'd have a good minute or two to get up that hill, get down, and we're gone. I shut the back of this thing. The water people will figure out what they want to do, which is maybe just to shut the vehicle and join us. But of course, the water's going to be exposed at that point. But it's just one vehicle here. So I think we can just cover up with tarps and keep doing our thing. Yep. Any questions? They're called stock meteor? tanks, actually. That's that, the official name for these big galvanized tanks that you see people use for planters or they're used at farms to feed cattle, and those are lightweight and easy to bring out. One person can bring two of them at the same time, not a big deal. And they hold anywhere from, depending on the size, I think we had the ones we had were like 45 gallons each, 55 gallons each. The water is the hard thing to bring out. These are two and a half gallons each. I can probably
0: take two of those, right?
1: Well, if it's... How oh, that? You tell me. Um, so I'm going I'm to put the water right now over there on the side here so you can load up and speed load you need. So let me do a bucket for you. Water is really freaking heavy. Who knew? You know, a gallon milk jug is heavy, and then that's one gallon. So imagine carrying uh, five of those or eight of those at a time, as much as you can, because you want to make fewer trips. That gets really heavy, and you're loving at them at night, and there's stress and high adrenaline and. People are scared they're going to get arrested because you don't know how dangerous it is or it isn't and it isn't really dangerous but you there's still trying to do it and not get you're caught wrong, i'm going to give you something bigger and heavier this is 42 pounds hang on take a look folks if anyone's going to carry one of these take a look right so this is homemade a rubber glove and rubber band
0: yep.
1: just move away from here this is
0: These are solid, man. Yeah, you to the left. I can't see where I'm going.
1: Um, Watch your step.
0: Now we're kind of home free from the road. Yeah, we're out of the way of the road now.
1: And the more this action proceeds and the more we're having success, we reach the pond. It looks like a ridge or a plateau, but it's actually, that's a dry pond. It's as dry as Death Valley with cracked earth. We're going to put it on one side off the center of it. Hopefully it'll go there. All right. Onward, team. To the right.
0: There it is. Let me see. Right here,
1: baby. So we've oh. got two of these spaced out so enough animals can get in here. If they smell it, if they come. We don't know that they will, but we had to try something. So second one, do we have the other trough? Uh, I want to spread these out. I don't see the other people I the through the uh I guess. Yeah, I, I guess. I'm, I'm gonna pick the the side side the yeah, go put it out of the way here, because this is this is the most visible dangerous thing to be seen by me. What's the weight of the trough? Much, 25 pounds each out no. on the ground. Right. So we should get four people and scoot on over the hill. We start filling the water, and then we run back to the truck where there's two people in the van with a hose system. So sort of siphon out of the two tanks we brought the water uh, into the park with in the van is you know refilling these containers and then rushing them back out. You're like, oh my God, we're actually getting away with this. And then you get more adrenaline because you want to make sure you actually do this thing and then get out of there before you're seen. That would be a goal. Not to be caught at the end of it, and then they're going to go find it the next day and pull it out, which they've done every single time we put water in. For the elk. <laughs> Doing this for the elk. Leave a little This one's flowing good. Oh, thank <laughs> God! them when they discover it. I wish we could make them aware of it so that they don't have to come find it. You know what I, I mean? Know. I don't want one to die on its way through it, but at least some relief at the end of their struggle. Come on, Elky. All right. We're we'll waiting for the elk to come out. I know, that would be so cool. Guys, if I could, I would live out here with them, honestly. I'd just, I'd just walk around and live out here.
0: The situation with the tule elk and the ranches at Point Reyes National Seashore is hugely contentious, with extremely strong feelings on all sides. Some say the ranches are part of the cultural heritage of the area, The elk are native, but the current herds were actually reintroduced and brought in by the Park Service in 1978, after the ranches were established. Others point to negative environmental impacts of the cattle operations, above and beyond the effects on the elk. And still others point to what they see as the Park Service's cruel treatment of the elk, including harassing the animals from helicopters and shooting pregnant elk. But whichever side you land on, the fact remains that the confined elk are dying slow and painful deaths, as worsening drought leaves them without food and water. Jack and the other activists saw the results on their nighttime delivery.
1: And at this time, by the way, the Park Service had not done their annual count, and there were photographers in our group who were documenting that the the bodies were piling up, elk were dying. Park Service said, no, 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 it's fine, there's adequate water, trust us, we don't. We didn't, we knew not to, because this has happened years earlier before I got involved in this. In uh, 2012 to 2015, droughts killed half the herd. Half the herd died. Um, We did this water drop in December, the beginning of December, and it was April 1st, I think, when the Park Service announced, surprise, yeah, we did a count, and 152 fewer elk are in the reserve. Meaning at least 152 died because it doesn't account for any births there might be. So we were right that elk were dying in large numbers, larger than we thought.
0: Back in the fall, when concerned citizens asked the Park Service what they were planning to do about the elk amidst worsening drought, Rangers said they were monitoring the situation. In the meantime, Jack and the other activists did four of these clandestine water drops.
1: Every single time we brought water in, which was four different attempts, they take it out. Uh, The first time a newspaper took a picture of us on a piece of pavement near where we put them in, so they found them, whatever, two days later.
0: This night, Jack and the others had just filled up the water troughs when they got word that the rangers were on their way. It turns out some of the ranchers had seen all the cars driving out in the dark, and they'd called the park service. The walkie-talkies the activists had planned to use were out of range.
1: I actually was notified by an activist, (laughs) God bless her, she texted me from Detroit, where she lives, at night. 11 o'clock her time, or 11.30 or midnight now at this point, her time, because she had been contacted saying, can you reach them? (laughs) So we were notified, thanks to cellular technology, she reached us where we were. We had cell phone reception up on a rise, which reaches across Tamales Bay, a couple miles away to a cell tower, which I think is on Mount Barnaby, notified by Detroit that, hey, they're on to you. (laughs) Heads up, which is to say, get your head down. And everybody was like, what do we do, what do we do? We're trying to figure it out, but like, okay, everybody, be quiet, be quiet. You know, they're not gonna shoot us, you know, it's, it's safe. It's just, God, we want to get out of here. How do we do that? We were like hiding up on the hillside, hoping they would go away as if they would. <laughs> like little kids. And of course, at that time, you know, we're all like, everybody, lower your voice, get on the ground, turn off your flashlights, get down on the ground, be quiet. They're not gonna come up here, they can't find us. But of course, we can't get out of here. And there's no way out of here because they're road blocking us. So what do we do? And we're talking about that. And while this is happening, while this is happening, for me, the highlight of the evening, a coyote starts singing. To which I say, be quiet. Let's just at least enjoy this moment here in the fog, having done this action. The water's down, but we can't get out of here. But a coyote's serenading us. A wonderful, haunting sound I always love and never tire of. So we were there just kind of uh, not knowing what to do for about uh, only maybe 10 minutes it felt longer but it was probably only 10 minutes because then we decided well they're not here yet but they're going to come you know they know what's going on so we might as well get out of here get to the road get all the containers out so there's no sign of anything except the water over the hill they won't know where it is and that's what we did and then we got down to the vehicles and then everybody get out of here leave me leave me be I'll be here just get out of here get out of here as the the so-called leader of this escapade I'm totally fine to be the one that talked to the park rangers, and if they need to ticket somebody or arrest, which I doubt they're going to do, but who knows, this was early on in this campaign, let it be me. Not everybody needs to go down. I'm happy to take the heat. So we got to the road, and some people dispersed, which was great, and got in there. There was a couple other vehicles there. Uh, and then I was left with two other activists wanted to stay, uh... One of them, a woman named Liz, who's awesome, (laughs) a scientist who's also an activist, and she's like, I'm not going to leave you alone, you know, with the rangers, like, whatever's going to happen. It's very sweet. So here comes a vehicle, and it's a ranger vehicle with two women rangers, and, you know, I'm standing on the side of the road. They pull up and pull over, and then I walk toward them and say, you know, good evening. (laughs) What can I do for you? What brings you here, (laughs) Ms. Park Ranger? Anyway, so I just wanted to bring water. That's that's the long and short of it without intimate detail and no plastic and no litter and all that stuff. So the ranger and I spoke and basically saying to my, you know, not real surprise, but horror, well, you know, where is the stuff? What'd you do? Because you know we're going to have to take it all out in the morning. So the plastic jugs that are out there. I swear to God, there's no plastic jugs out there. What is the water being put into? That's a great question. Mm -hmm. I would ask that if I were in your shoes, because I mean, there's no acceptable answers. That's why I'm hesitating. Meaning, if you pour the water on the dry ground, it goes away. And if you put it in plastic, then you create a So atoms. into <laughs> when we go look out there, what are we going to see the water in? What is it? Is it in plastic or what is it? What is what did you pour water into tonight? <sighs> Any thoughts? Uh, you over there, person? What, me? Yeah. Well,
0: I mean, technically, we did put the water in the pond.
1: I'm just, uh, I'm so not, I'm just, my mom had done taught me, you know, to tell the truth, but I'm in a situation where I'm, you know, bucking the, the regulations of the park. I'm aware of that. So I think it would help us to know because clearly we have to come out here tomorrow anyway, to take it all out. So, I mean, we this can, is so the back and forth thing that we're going to have to keep doing. So and the elk only get, well, it's also last time something like this happened. Introducing unnatural objects into. Well, that, that's true, area. that's true, but the fencing and the cows are a, a million fold, a million pounds more unnatural and unhealthy and killing the elk, literally but killing I, the elk. I'm not going to engage in a debate on all the things that are going on. i just hoping to get the honest answer of what what well, you're putting true. the water in. <laughs> I t- I'll tell I'll make a deal. I'll, I'll tell you the answer to the question that I'm dying And to then we were sent on our way. going to let you go. All right. Thank, thank you. Do you understand why I'm doing it? It's important to me, I guess, that you understand. I oh, don't Thank you, I need to uh, I'm not saying agree with it or Sorry. condone it, but understand. That's, I guess I'm looking for that human connection. I'm not going to comment on that, but I will give you a safety thing, and that is this of clock. After being told, you know, this was dangerous, and you know, you could trip out there in the fog, and you could be on the road and get hit. No, we weren't on the road. No, we couldn't get hit. Yeah, we could trip, but that's got nothing to do with anything, and so what? That's my business, being in a national park. There should be some wildness in our lives, gosh darn it. So cordial, professional, respectful, and we went our way. They left. Adrenaline drops down a bit at that point.
0: Jack and the others got in their cars and went home hoping that maybe some of the elk would find and drink the water they'd smuggled in for them. Rangers found the water within a few days and removed it.
1: Why the Park Service won't leave the water is a great question, and probably just, I would only take a guess at it, and that's bureaucracy. We can't let them do these things that they're not allowed to do or authorized to do. Can't sanction it by leaving it alone. It's so simple. Knowing full well we couldn't ultimately bring enough water for all the elk out there, but we could make an attempt— And who can get angry at that? It's not like we're saying we're going to vandalize the fences and let them free, which wouldn't work because they just shoot them and put them back in or trank them at best and put them back in or the ranchers would shoot them or, you know, demonize the ranchers or boycott the ranches. I mean, that can work. I'm not saying it doesn't, but it's not my style of activism. It's got to be what I'm for. So I'm for protecting the elk. I'm for having a clean, protected, pristine national park as opposed to demonizing anybody. I don't actually personally want to or see the need to demonize ranchers for doing a business that they've done for generations or the park service who would much prefer to be protecting elk and not mending fences for the cattlemen which they currently do at taxpayer expense, it's all subsidized. We're allowed to be in there, it's not trespassing, you're allowed to go into the park. You can drive in there and walk around at two in the morning if you want, totally legal and put down water in troughs with a group of fellow activists, God bless them, who are willing to, you know, who knows what's going to happen? Would we face arrest for that? Is it, I mean, it's, I don't even know if it's civil disobedience. I'm in a court case right now, so I got to watch what I say here, but I was charged with um, (laughs) disorderly conduct, creating a hazardous situation for putting water troughs down because I would, you know, damage the vegetation and perhaps put myself at risk, is my guess as to what it doesn't say in the citation what it is. And that is going to go to court but there is no statute or regulation saying you can't bring water to elk, which is what I did. This is just successful beyond our wildest dreams, which is the, as we thought might happen, we drove whatever it was, 15 cars. um, I would say that the action was overall, all the water drops we do are successful because they raised public awareness, which is the ultimate goal. But it was successful. We got the bins in here, we have some water. At least the elk have a chance to get some water tonight. I don't think they're gonna learn about this tomorrow maybe in a couple days, but the fog is in. We're out here in a beautiful place. Elk have water, successful.
0: These actions have definitely made the public more aware of the plight of the Tule elk. There's been a lot of national press and an ensuing public outcry. So much so that the Park Service recently installed gravity-fed water troughs near the entrance to the reserve. There's a catch though. There are four subherds in the enclosed area and the water is only accessible to one of them. The elk are territorial, so they don't cross into land occupied by other herds.
1: So the rug was pulled out from underneath us, which is fine, by the Park Service finally, quote unquote, bringing the elk water. So that took away our focus on the water thing, even though what the Park Service did was still, however well-intentioned or not, or just politically wise to do for them, is inadequate. So we have had endless uh, speculation again about why the Park Service brought the water troughs in. I mean, we assume it's just to sort of put tamp down the public relations nightmare, and they get their directions from on high. That's our guess, but who knows? I mean, they haven't adequately addressed the problem, which is there's not elk water everywhere in the reserve for all of the elk to get water. And even if they did that, there's inadequate food. But bringing food and even water is a temporary fix, and we're fine for that, but the fix is get the fences down, which doesn't even, you know, deleteriously kill the ranch business. It just means a little bit of their water and a little bit of the food gets taken from the cows for the elk, so what? You're in a national park, you still got a good deal.
0: After the Park Service brought limited water into the enclosed reserve, future water delivery actions by Jack and the other activists became somewhat irrelevant. So the activists have switched gears. At a recent protest near where the Thule elk are fenced in, Jack and about a dozen others dressed up in orange prisoner jumpsuits with antlers on their heads, and held signs that said things like, free the elk, and Thule elk penitentiary, the freedom of elk is strictly prohibited. There were several reporters and photographers from local media outlets. That was all part of Jack's plan. And it's having an effect. A group of scientists sent a letter to the National Park Service criticizing its mismanagement of the fenced-in elk at Tamales Point and urging them to update its plan. And also, the Harvard Animal Law and Policy Clinic has filed a lawsuit against the National Park Service, as well as Secretary of Interior Deb Holland for what they say is its negligence in allowing the elk to die slow and preventable deaths as a result of starvation and dehydration at Point Reyes National Seashore. Jack is one of the plaintiffs. This is all part of a long game.
1: There's the goal, and then there's the strategy, and those are different things. So the goal is to free the elk and then eventually get the cows out because we know that's going to take longer. But then there's your strategy, which is a different thing. How do you accomplish that? Do you go yell at the ranchers? Do you go yell at the politicians? Do you go write uh, Secretary Halland, who's actually in charge of the Department of Interior, which runs the Park Service? You know, I mean, conflict sells in the media, but it's just its not who I want to be. It's not what I want to do in the world. I want to do it productive and... and That's why I keep going out to bring people to the park and say, take down this fence, open this gate up so these animals can be free, because it's kind of an inarguable message.
0: The issue of Tule elk and ranches in the Point Reyes National Seashore is complicated. There are good people on all sides, and there are no easy answers. But Jack keeps fighting, and he's hopeful.
1: Because of recent success with this campaign, and after speaking with people who've been in this fight over a decade, who reflect back to all of us activists, hardly just me, my God, we're getting such good press, we're getting national attention, we've actually reached the Secretary of Interior, in part, I think, large part thanks to the Harvard lawsuit, I'm completely optimistic this can be won, which is to say the elk can be certainly freed and not die, and even the cows can get out of there and the seashore restored to what it was originally supposed to be. It's just a matter of focused, sustained attention if we keep raising the awareness so more people go oh my god why would they kill the elk in a park can't there be both elk and cows oh you say they're can't jack because the cows pollute the place i didn't know that really do cows pollute it looks so nice and green well that's misleading it's not truly what's happening we can absolutely win i'm just completely convinced of that it's what gives me hope my god i mean it's why i'm not just saying i want to end deforestation in brazil i don't know how to take that on it's too big but here in progressive, environmentally aware Marin County, California, where they're shooting the wildlife in a national park for the cattle industry, it's just so simple and so wrong. You just have to broadcast it enough for people to get that message and we can absolutely win the campaign. Win the campaign. We can do the right thing by the planet, by nature, by the elk for everyone.
0: You've been listening to Nocturne. I'm Vanessa Lowe. Nocturne is produced by me and was created by myself and Kent Sparling, who also composed the theme music. Sound from the nighttime water drop was recorded by Tony Sagal for his film Dying of Thirst at Point Reyes National Seashore. You can find a link to that film as well as links for Jack Gishite, the National Park Service, and more information about the history of ranches at Point Reyes National Seashore and the plight of the elk at our website, nocturnepodcast.org. In the show notes for this episode. Thank you to Danny Sellier, Josh Gagnon, and Chris Schaefer for supporting Nocturne on Patreon at the happy possum level. Picture a possum in the middle of the night in a field, bowing in gratitude. And that's me. Support Nocturne by heading over to nocturnepodcast.org support, or go to patreon.com nocturnepodcast. Till next time, thanks for listening.